Hello, woman beings, and welcome to another episode of The Woman Being Podcast. I'm Emma, and I am joined here today, of course, as always, with the incredible Kelly Ann. Hello, so glad to be here. So glad to have you here. <laughs> Thank you, Emma. <laughs> You're welcome, Kelly Ann. And we're also so pleased to be here with the beautiful Kelly. Wow. Good morning, everyone. I'm so glad to be here. Well, we're glad that you're here. And we're also glad that you are here, dear listener. (laughs) We are going to talk today about supernatural deliverance culture. Dun, dun, dun. If that's something you don't know much about, you're about to learn a whole heck of a lot about it. And if it's something you do know about, then buckle up because you know you're in for a wild ride. And let's just dive right in. This is Woman Being. Where we explore thoughts and opinions and have the freedom to change our minds. Without expectation or judgment, we will hold a safe space and support each other as we navigate together in the form of feminine. Okay, folks, we are here to talk about supernatural deliverance culture. And that is something that is very prevalent in the charismatic Christian space. Uh, and if you don't know that is a space that we're coming from, then you probably should follow us on social media. <laughs> because we talk about those things a lot. Uh, you should follow us on Instagram at Woman Being Podcast and also listen to our other episodes that talk about religious trauma, like purity culture and modesty culture and um, ways that, I mean, we pretty much talk about like stuff the church does a lot. So... Just binge every single episode on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, uh, <laughs> Stitcher, et cetera, et cetera. We're there and you can listen to us and give us a review. So <laughs> thank, you. thank you for your review. <laughs> After that shameless plug, we need to now shamelessly dive into this topic. Mm-hmm. Are you guys, how are you guys feeling about this, that we're going to talk about this today? Well, um, I think, was this my suggestion to record (laughs) this? I think this might have been my suggestion, to be honest. And we had the option, like, as of, like, yesterday to swap out this one or another one. And I intentionally was like, we should record this episode because if we don't do it tomorrow, I might not want to do it. So (laughs) I'm pretty, like, even though I'm eager to talk about it because I think it's really prevalent, I'm pretty, like, apprehensive at the same time because I understand there's a lot of nuance and gray in this conversation. Um, But I was pretty deeply entrenched in deliverance culture, so I feel like I have a lot to contribute. Sure. So – I don't know. We'll see how it shakes out. Yeah, apprehensive is the word I was going to use. In that same conversation of which one we should switch out, I was saying we should postpone because I wanted to procrastinate and not do this today. But (laughs) it's fine. You beat me to the punch, and I'm here, and I'm an adult, and I can do it. But I think think, um, less so in the sense that – I mean, yes, it's nuanced, it's gray, but more so it feels like – feels like a secret that I've been harboring and I haven't really like talked about it openly on the podcast yeah and I it's it's weird to just like come out and say some things Mm -hmm. so sure I feel a little nervous about that yeah and and for anyone who maybe like needs a little context about what sort of like supernatural deliverance culture is in the Christian space it's essentially uh, the belief that miracles happen Right. And the belief that there are uh, 
spiritual wars happening all around mm-hmm. us, that there are demons possessing people, that there are that people can be um, spiritually, divinely healed by God in a very physical way of any ailment. Mm-hmm. It's a belief that different supernatural occurrences, not supernatural like aliens, supernatural like things that wouldn't normally happen like in prophecy. the natural world. Like, well, I was thinking even, like, manifestations of, um, like, physical things happening. Yes. Mm-hmm. So there's just things that go against maybe the natural order mm-hmm. um, that of the way we understand the world can happen as a sign from God or from the divine or that there is some sort of spiritual presence or activity happening. Mm-hmm. That's sort of a general over <laughs> over simplification of what that kind of is um, and it's something that all of us have interacted with in some way shape or form uh, we actually here um, we live in Redding California which is where a very big church that is in this supernatural space is um, which is Bethel Church you've heard us interview people from Bethel and you've heard us talk about it some um, but that's just one caveat you want to give is that we've actually been involved in the past with Bethel and like have it it's very close to us mm-hmm. in terms of um we interact with a lot of people that are in that space still to this day uh and so that's sort of like part of our frame where we're coming from um but speaking of our frame and where we're coming from <laughs> what do you ladies share some of just your background uh behind um uh, supernatural and deliverance culture and like what that has looked like for you in the past, maybe? Kellyanne should go first, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you set the really true framework of growing up in oh, charismatic gosh. culture and then I'll just sprinkle in my exposures throughout. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, where to start? Well, I grew up in a conservative Methodist church that was not very into the charismatic space. It had sprinklings and moments of charismatic uh, vibes, but uh, overall was fairly uh, conservative. It would make room for those things if it happened, but it didn't seek out those things. Um And at a very young age, I started to have what I believed were encounters with angels, with demons, what I perceived to be Jesus, um, all kinds of things, um, probably at about 10. So this is all so vulnerable (laughs) for me to say. But um, and due to my parents not knowing what to do. Um, started to connect with more people more in that space. Um, So charismatic, uh, deliverance-focused type people. Um, I continued to kind of grow up with this quote-unquote gifting um, and practice it as well as I could, um, which turned out to me having a deliverance ministry from with my mom for a short period of time, about two years, um, as a young woman. I think I was about 14, 15. Um, and people would literally come to our house and spend hours at our house praying with us, uh, us delivering them and uh, asking me uh, what visions I was having of their life. Um So I was pretty entrenched in it, and then I uh, felt the call of God 
to move out to Redding, California and attend three years of BSSM. Which is, yeah. what does BSSM stands for? Which is the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. Which context is like one of, not if the mm-hmm. school on like supernatural ministry, I would say, I would say Bethel, especially in America and even like in a lot of the world is kind of a charismatic culture mecca. Yeah, it really is. I was going to to the place to do the thing. Mm-hmm. And I was going to become this wonderful, amazing person in ministry, woman in ministry, because I felt very passionately that women were underrepresented, and um, then go do whatever. Honestly, I was like, let's move to Africa. Let's do whatever the thing, right? Um, turns out, Uh, the universe had very different plans for my life because I started to deconstruct and uh, get mental health help. And that was very key and important for me um, in my journey um, to become who I am today and truly to get well um, and heal trauma. And I won't say that everyone in this uh, supernatural Deliverance space is the same. I can only speak really to my experience, but um, for me, it was not a good thing. Um, It did not bring good things to my life. Um, So yeah, that's my framework. That's where I'm coming from. And now I would say I'm pretty much fully deconstructed and don't engage in most of those things. I would still say I am spiritual, quote unquote. I still like But, like, in the sense that, like, I used to think I'd be possessed if I was into these things. I like crystals. I like to go to the crystal shop. I like to, you know, meditate and do yoga. And so I'd still say I have a spiritual practice. It just looks radically different from what I thought it would. So. That's amazing. Thank you. Um, I think think that's very relatable um, because I – have I know and have known many people who grew up having like these sort of encounters mm-hmm. and these sort of like real experiences with demons, angels, whatever you want to call it. And uh, and I remember I remember growing up in my high school. I was well, maybe not even high school. Maybe we should start earlier. I, I've been exposed to a, several different denominations within the Christian world. I started off in an Episcopalian st- space, mm-hmm. a little Episcopalian space. It's a mouthful. Um, and it was uh, not necessarily very charismatic, but it was very missional and very expressive um, as opposed to like some some denominations are a lot more sort of stoic and intellectual in their faith. This one was more emotional than your average liturgical Episcopalian church. Um, and uh, I, we moved into, we, we actually attended a uh, conservative Methodist semi-charismatic mm. um, church as well. Um, and that was where we were exposed to people who were in the circles that Bethel's in. Um, it wasn't necessarily specific direct actus access to Bethel, but um, there's all sorts of conferences and churches and and things um, like, I guess, gatherings of people or, or denominations around the U.S. that sort of are in that sort of Pentecostal um, miracles are real sort of space. And um, we attended these kind of 
open to, but not really churches in my hometown. And then like would go out to conferences and church services and healing conference, like things Mm -hmm. um, on weekends or like for camp or Mm -hmm. it's actually the, the place me and my husband met was at a supernatural spiritual kind of retreat ministry thing Mm -hmm. um, that my parents were very involved with. Um, He went every year. Um, We got married there two years later. (laughs) Um, So because it was a place that was special to me because this sort of this other world of like miracles are real, healing can happen. God is moving and alive and he speaks to us now Mm -hmm. was sort of this like world that had been open to me throughout my childhood, not necessarily something I grew up with. It was sort of like, whoa, this is like God is actually real Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, And I came out to work for Bethel in 2019 after being on the missions field with – Campus, well, formerly Campus Crusade for Christ, I think is the most commonly known name, but um, now called Crew, which was interdenominational. Um, there was not, there was a mixture of people who were open to the supernatural and not, mm-hmm. <laughs> and very much not. And so I kind of was exposed to like a more theological and intellectually challenging space where mm-hmm. I sort of had to find reasoning behind my beliefs that women could be pastors or Mm. like all sorts of things like women could be pastors or God heals today or God even can speak to us outside of the scriptures or all sorts of things. So that was um, kind of my precursor to arriving here in Reading. And um, I I don't know, I, I think I'm not denying maybe the realness of some of my experiences. I was always the person who like could sort of sense God or felt like the intuition of God and felt like I had wise things to say Mm -hmm. or felt like I had, you know, knowledge about people beyond like what they had told me or whatever. But I had never spoken in tongues. I had never seen someone healed by my hands. Um, Well, I had thought I had seen someone healed by my hands and then found out they weren't. But that's a whole other story that we'll get into. Um, but I heard all these testimonies around me all the time of like, oh, my gosh, I had stage four cancer and now I'm free or I, you know, I had schizophrenia and now I'm delivered or I was this, you know, severe drug addict and now I'm not. And God turned my life around in a second. And so um, and I believed I really I really believed mm. that this was that this was true. And and we made jokes about it like we we knew we sounded crazy. <laughs> I guess. And we like, we'd be like, yeah, we have three heads. It's fine. You know, like this is just our lot in life to sort of, we have three heads just in terms of like, um, we are a bizarre breed, you know, like we, yeah, we, we live outside the norm of even Mm -hmm. like kind of normal Christian, evangelical Christianity. Um, and that was very celebrated Yes, and very like coveted. Like you're the special one that stands out. Yes. It's Mm -hmm. like, we have sort of like almost unlocked this secret about um, about God that other denominations have rejected mm-hmm. or haven't discovered yet. Um, and we look weird and crazy, but at least we're communing with God or maybe interesting or maybe God himself is a little weird and crazy, too. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that was kind of my experience. I, definitely a lot of interesting, weird, unexplainable experiences throughout my life. Um, yeah. I mean, 
for me, I am probably the least, uh, I've been the least involved in charismatic culture of the three of us. Um, I became a Christian in like a pretty Baptist environment, uh, which uh, Baptists don't really affirm the idea of like a supernatural world in the same way. Mm -hmm. Uh, At least Southern Baptists often don't. And uh, there's... uh, there's the the affirmation that like sure God can do things, but it doesn't like really happen. Uh, <laughs> it's like theoretical in a lot of ways uh, for my experience in that. And Which, then I was just saying, ironically, the conference that my family and I attended, where Ross and I met, was Baptist. So yeah, denominations can take a lot. <laughs> they really can. They really can. Um, and. Uh, it's it's interesting too because I attended a Methodist church for a little while that had no supernatural anything at all, mm-hmm. and you guys had like experiences with su- with supernatural inklings in mm-hmm. Methodist churches, and so uh, yeah, a denomination really doesn't mean a ton. But <laughs> uh, I actually wound up like as I got older and went to college and was exposed for the first time to like the idea of real like supernatural um ministry or like uh god doing miracles that you can like essentially ask for or Mm -hmm. things like that um as that was introduced to me i started to like move my theology in that direction um i remember i had a a friend that i made who like essentially tried to like evangelize to me and like get me to um be baptized in the spirit which was a concept Mm. that I had never heard of before we had never even I was like I don't understand what you mean Mm. I've already been baptized I already am a Christian Mm -hmm. why do I need to be baptized in the spirit I think you're wrong like that was basically what I told him and the idea of like being baptized in the spirit is essentially to say that you now have received this like holy spirit anointing that Mm -hmm. um, allows you to like facilitate these miracles miracles and um facilitate like speaking with god in this way that's like another level etc like type of thing i've never believed in that but (laughs) the the uh that idea was introduced to me and it had me like start contemplating that um i wound up switching churches in college because the church i went to didn't um believe in like the active working of like the fruits of the spirit or whatever like the 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 active uh that you can prophesy that you can heal people that you can receive words of knowledge all those kinds of things um and i wanted more of that uh but never really went to a church that was super charismatic um aside from bethel uh which wound up going to later on uh but i also wound up being a missionary for a year and you see lots of wild things when you are a missionary uh, that's for sure uh i was in an interdenominational ministry similar to how crew is interdenominational uh but so i had people who were traveling on the mission field with me who were mennonite or catholic and also people who were pentecostal charismatic and so we had a wide range of uh, theology that was represented and i saw a lot of things happen that were very supernatural that were very um i don't know woo woo <laughs> type of things um 
but not to the extent actually of a lot of the stuff that you guys have talked about um, for sure. So for me, my exposure sort of looked like that. It had been a very gradual progression towards more charismatic theology. Uh, And then I came and also worked at Bethel and was exposed to it a bit more, but I feel like I got like a touch and then I was out. (laughs) So it was, it felt, it was very brief to me. And there were so many things that I had never heard of that was happening at Bethel until I came here. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wait, what? And also what's the point? Like, that was my question. A lot of the time was like, why is this a thing? Um, For example, I remember I went to the doctor here when I, like, within a couple months, I was really sick. I had a bad cough. And um, I went to an urgent care and told the doctor that I worked at Bethel. He was just asking me, like, what do you do? I said that I worked there. And he goes, oh, have you seen the gold dust? And I was like, the what? (laughs) I don't know what you're talking. Like, this doctor wasn't even a Christian, I don't think. Like, he, or at least he didn't attend Bethel. He had just heard about this. And he was like, oh, I heard that they see gold dust there sometimes, like, falling from the ceiling while they're in church. And I was like, no. (laughs) And, And I actually thought this guy maybe was, like, misunderstanding like I was like this guy is not Mm -mm. like he's like heard some crazy thing and like and then I think I heard other people talk about it later on and I was like oh people actually have seen this while in a church service and yeah my question was always like why would that even be a thing um what is the point of seeing gold dust fall from the the ceiling what Mm. what is that going to do for anybody um so I think I've I've touched the charismatic space and then sort of have like curved a little bit, but I've always been pretty um, skeptical about things. Um, and there have been specific things that I've seen in real life that have happened that um, curb some of my skepticism. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's also a lot where it feels very. Uh, I mean, I think we should be skeptical about things like that. So I'm actually curious to hear from you guys. Um, maybe a story from your experience, uh, what, like an example of this like charismatic culture. Could you guys like each share something that you've, you've interacted with? Yeah, of course. I mean, I grew up very close with another family who's the, the father of that family claimed to hear the audible voice of God on the daily, mm. um, and uh, they were instrumental in our kind of exposure to supernatural ministry and culture. Um, and I have a specific memory of uh, I was a good friends with one of their daughters, and we took um, some of their horses out to a horse show. Uh, just the two of us. It was the first horse show that we had ever attended um, alone without parental guidance i think like she had recently turned 18 or something so it was like she finally was able to do that um and so i signed up for some events to compete in and um uh i went i was in a very fast event where i had to kind of like curve around a barrel really quickly on my horse and so um i went out to do it and it was early spring and so I think what happened was that the gravel 
on the top of the arena was like loose and then underneath was still kind of frozen from winter. We were from Minnesota, so it was cold. Um, and when we went around that barrel, it's a very tight turn and my horse's feet just went out from underneath him. And um, he could like fell on my leg, like his whole body. And this, this is like an 1800 pound horse. Like he was a big horse. Um, and so uh, I actually walked off the arena that day um, with a pre pretty bad bruise and a sprain and a little bit of fluid under my kneecap. Um, but the next day was pretty much walking normally, um, which for the circumstances is insane. And I wasn't wearing a helmet. I think I had a hat on. Um, uh, the only protection I had was my boots and my jeans wow. and myself, you know. So when we got back that that sort of night, I guess, we like immediately left and drove the horses back and whatever. Um, my friend's mom was waiting there for us and my mom was waiting there for us because, you know, we had called them and told them what happened. And um, my friend's mom said that like around the same time that I was in this event that she had felt this sudden word from God that she needed to pray for me. And like God said to her, you need to pray for Kelly right now. And so she like did. And um, when we got back, just the fact that I, I pretty much was walked away from all that unharmed mm. um, was sort of our sign that like, wow, God had like, you know, used angels to protect me or mm. like something had kept 1800 pounds of crushing weight from breaking my leg i guess um, or giving me a really bad concussion or like any number of things could have happened um and the horse was fine and everything was like really fine so that's that's one of many kind of stories that i have growing up that sort of felt unexplainable and like mm. it must have been god um but i've always held that i guess closely to myself in terms of what I've always believed and how I've processed um, a lot of the stuff that I've seen. So I don't know. There's one. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I, I was trying to pick between two, but um, one thing that happened during my deliverance ministry streak um, was that we were very close with this one family Um and they were really great. I still love them. They're still really good people. And uh, without revealing too many details, uh, the the mom and dad were like an older couple of the family. And they um, had been separated for quite some time due to the husband's mental state. He was not a particularly safe person to be around. And um, the mom had no intention of like living together. Um, but they were still married. She felt very convicted to keep her marriage. And so I, we prayed with her for probably about three or four hours one day, um, praying over her husband and that he would become well. And I mean, he was quite unwell. Um, and literally within a few weeks, he seemed to be a completely different person. And he was not aware that we were praying for him. No one was communicating to him directly about this. And slowly over time, actually was reintegrated into the family to the point that he was living with 
the wife again and they were um, in the same household, which is knowing how bad it was. That's quite phenomenal and unexplainable and something that I have never forgotten. Um, And I mean, I don't know where I haven't kept in contact with them necessarily, but so I really don't know what their situation is now. But I know for at least several years, he seemed to have just snapped out of whatever was going on with him. And again, he was quite unwell and was able to maintain relationships with his family and rebuild trust. And that was huge. Like those, those people's lives changed. And it was things like that that really kept me engaged with this culture and kept me pushing because I was like, well, if I can help people, if I can help facilitate changing people's lives like this, that is worth it right? And it truly is still to this day unexplainable. I have no idea what happened. I don't know how that all corrected itself, but it seemed to kind of do a 180. Um, So yeah, that's my story. And it's something that even though I don't necessarily hold the same beliefs I once did, I still find that this very precious. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah, I I have very few interactions with like the uh seeing things actually happen in mm-hmm. this space. Uh again, I've always been pretty skeptical overall. Um but I did see like two within the span of a couple weeks two like pretty unexplainable like healings mm-hmm. happen after we prayed for people. Um this was while I was on the mission field. And um, we had one girl who had lost her sense of smell since she was 13. She was in her 20s at that point. And she had been in a golf cart accident and lost her sense of smell because of, I guess, the way that her head was hit or whatever and literally couldn't smell. It was something we had known about her for months. Like she had told us about how she couldn't smell anything. And um, we all prayed over her, laid hands on her one day, prayed, and she was able to smell. And was able to smell for the next, like, 10 months that I knew her after that as well. And we literally, like, ran around giving her things to smell because we were so excited that she could smell now. Like, we're like, smell this. What does this smell like? What is this? And sometimes she was not that happy that she had her sense of smell back. (laughs) Because not everything smells great. But especially when you're, like, living the missionary life. Mm -hmm. But uh, that was one thing that felt like, okay, how do we explain this except for God, you know? Um, there was another girl within that same period of time who had really severe allergies where actually the week before she had been put out of ministry work for a whole week because she had had such a bad reaction to accidentally eating some soy Mm. and she was sick. Uh, She was allergic to like soy, very lactose intolerant, allergic to nuts, um, gluten intolerant, like a lot of intolerances and allergies and she would get very sick and um, we prayed over her. And she was able to eat all those things for the next year that I knew her. And um, I'm pretty sure still actually eats all of those things Mm -hmm. and is able to eat these things. And it's like, well, what, how do you explain that? (laughs) Except for the fact that we prayed over this person and then this happened. Um, And so those were like times that I saw that were very like tangible of these things happening. Um, But those have been very few and far between uh, and so it's it's definitely interesting to mull those over now. 
But I'm curious, speaking of like times that we've seen these things happen, um, have there been instances where you guys have seen or heard about th- this practice being abused? Unfortunately, if there's a church or if there's a group of people or if there's an institution that believes something, there are there will inevitably be ways in which it is abused, mm-hmm. I think. So I guess to answer your question, yes, it, but also like in mind, keeping in mind that like this happens everywhere in all sorts of situations, I think yeah. maybe in some ways the stakes could be raised a little bit because we're really talking about sort of like very heightened emotional um, experiences. Like we're yes. talking about people like foregoing cancer treatment to get yeah. prayed for instead. Like we're talking about mm. um, like people's like literal lives and health um, being put on the line. And if God doesn't answer, then like, what do we do next kind of thing? Yeah. Um, but I mean, again, that, that is not specifically, I think, a fault necessarily of charismatic culture in particular, but I think just the human experience will always lead to mm-hmm. unhealthy situation. So that's my caveat. Um, one experience that I had growing up that had been honestly for, I mean, it it happened for a year. It was like a core belief that I had, or the experience had turned into like, had built my core belief, I guess. And and the belief that God could really heal was, um, we were praying for a young man with, um, scoliosis, like really severe scoliosis. Mm -hmm. He lived with debilitating pain. Um, and, uh, we prayed for him and prayed for him this one night when there, there was kind of like a healing night at this conference that we were at. And he, um, and he said, I, I feel better. Like I don't feel any pain anymore. Um, and then he and one of the pastors like went into the bathroom and the pastor like supposedly checked his back and he said the spine was straight. Um, and that was like a big testimony. And I had been like one of the people like laying hands on this person. Um, he proceeded to spend the next year posting on Facebook because we all stayed in touch or whatever, you know, like this is amazing. And he posted on Facebook and he talked about how his pain was gone and he talked about how God had changed his life. And it was so much more than the healing. It was his, you know, spiritual life too was thriving. And, you know, like all of this stuff that was to us amazing. We were like, Praise God. God literally straightened someone's back, um, which is impossible, you know. And um, he came out about a year later um, and said that it was all a lie. Um, And I think and that he had done it just because he wanted the attention or felt like I I don't remember exactly what his reasoning was, but he pretty much just came clean and said, hey, like, this isn't true. Like, I you know, I still have scoliosis. I'm still in pain, like all of these things. Um, and one of the things that had like kept us all, I guess, hook, line and sinker for so long was that he had said he went and got x-rays and, you know, like it was amazing. You couldn't believe it. And he said he was going to send them and we were waiting with anticipation for these x-rays for so long. And then he said, there's no x-rays. I'm still the way I am. So, um, that was crushing. And I, yeah. and, and I think, like, it's one thing for us who kind of stayed with him through the experience. And, like, you, you have a grace for a person who, you know, 
you know, he did what he did to, yeah. to survive in whatever situation that was. And I honestly, no judgment towards him, but, um, but like there was 500 other people in that congregation who, whose belief in this culture were reinforced through the story, um, who never got to hear the actual results. Mm. You know, that, that's yeah. what messes with me. And I wonder, like, cause I heard, I've heard, I mean, testimony is a very big piece of the charismatic sort of culture. Um, it's like we talk about these good things that God has done and it's supposed to build our faith. And yep. um, uh, so, I, and I wonder, I'm like, how many testimonies have I heard where like later on, whatever symptoms came back or the person didn't really tell the truth or like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know the answer to that, but um I don't know. Despite that, I still believed. Mm. I kind of just, I wrote him off as an anomaly and moved on. Yeah. But um, yeah, that was, that was, that, that was, I, I don't know if that maybe even abuse doesn't even, isn't the right word for that, but it, right. it's how something like that can be misconstrued or well, I immediately hyperbolized. Hyperbolized. I just think of that pastor that checked his back and then reinforced that narrative. That yeah, his back is straight. I'm like, whoa. I wondered that too. I and I, maybe I didn't wonder until now. I don't know. Like maybe I kind of always thought that this pastor had been like bamboozled or something. Right. But like actually not until today, as I was thinking about like how I'm going to tell the story, I was like, why did he? Like, mm. did he not? Did he check? Was he telling the truth? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, to me, that could very easily fall into the realm of pastors who aren't qualified to do certain things doing them, right? Like, I don't feel confident that I would be able to know if someone's back was straightened out or not. Like, I'm not a doctor. I don't have experience with that. I don't know how to examine somebody's spine mm. and know whether or not they have scoliosis, you know? Like, I'm, it, it feels to me like um, this, it sounds to me like an instance of a pastor doing something they're really not qualified to do. That's fair. Um, I don't know about you. I've been, I've been exposed to, to several different people in my life with, like, severe scoliosis, and it is visible. Mm -hmm. And there is a difference between what somebody's back looks like with severe scoliosis and like what an average normal back looks like. So mm -hmm. yes, but, but also no, I think. Yeah. But and I have like so much empathy for this person that you're yeah. talking about because as someone who's struggled with chronic health issues recently, the past few years, like you want to be better so badly. You really want to have good news. You really yeah. do. And like, I think for people that are maybe surrounded by all that influence, like, you can believe that you are better mm -hmm. and you're, you might not be. But there are instances also where people do get better miraculously and you don't have an explanation. Like, and so it's, it's kind of both and. But I think, yeah, for myself, I would just say that I've seen it pretty consistently abused. It's part of the human condition. But I think also the problem is that we all just believed so strongly, like you mentioned, like there wasn't a moment I didn't believe what I was doing, what I was saying, what others were doing around me. I just had absolute blind faith, or you could say I was just ignorant. Um, I didn't question people. I didn't question others. And so when people tell me, oh, look at this, 
you just prayed for this lump in my throat and it's smaller. And she would force me to like feel it. And this was overseas while I was on a, a mission trip. But I prayed for her. She had this big lump in her neck and uh, she forced me to feel it afterwards because and she insisted it was smaller. And I'm like, I don't I don't know that like you are like, you know, your body and you're forcing me to feel it. I don't feel a difference, but like I will pray for you again and like we'll see how small we can get this lump to be. But I and I mean maybe not, this wasn't abuse, just maybe willing ignorance on my end, but th- that haunts me because I'm like, what if this person for like didn't seek out medical treatment in the belief that her like lump, that was very scary actually. Thinking back, I'm like, girl, that could be your thyroid. I don't know. Um, Like, yeah, I just, I don't know. And I think I, those are the kinds of things that um, I lose sleep over of like how many people have we lost in the name of healing that weren't actually healed that could have been healed through modern the modern miracle of medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think – Well, that's when you get into really extreme charismatic cultures that yeah. – uh, this was not the case in my family um, to the full extent, but um, you see – children denied access to healthcare with mm-hmm. the idea that no, you know, God will heal you, or this mm-hmm. is God's will that you're healed in this way or, yep. or whatever. And again, that's, that's on the more extreme end of where that this sort of belief can go. Um, so the average, I think the average charismatic Bethel going family goes to the doctor just like anyone else, but, right. <laughs> um, uh, but there are some that don't. Yeah. And, and, and that to me is an abuse. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think as well, like the way they, that, that this culture in general can handle children can be very dangerous. Just even coming from my own upbringing, it was like, oh, you're special. You have a gift. All these adults coming to me, asking me questions, asking me to pray for them, asking for a word from God, all these things. And looking back, I'm like, wow, like that was so dangerous because I was built up to believe, oh, you have all these special gifts. You are a prophet. You are, I had a mentor that felt um, compelled by God to ordain me as an apostle, like all these things. I mean, people would ask me, what should I do about my grandma that's sick? Like, what should I buy a lottery card? What numbers should I buy? You know, like truly wild things. What should I do? Like, I'm like, bitch, I don't know your life. Like, <laughs> and I think, especially when it comes to minors, like we really have to be so wise about any religious practice we bring them up in because that was a ton of pressure that really crippled me. And I didn't know how to tell people no. I felt like I was letting them down because if I was the special one from God, then how could I tell them no? So that's some of the ways I've seen it abused. <laughs> Dang, that's a lot of pressure. It was. And then, you know, I think that's why it's been so crushing to deconstruct because it's like, wow, I was the special one. I was the one that could could see what was happening in your life. I was the one that could be like, well, what happened when you were four? Like, I see this this thing happening that really hurt you. Like, I was that weird girl (laughs) that everyone in church knew 
oh, if you really need something, you go talk to this person. So. Well, yeah, and that would be crushing because we're talking about, like, I have this gift. And then to maybe even discover that there wasn't a gift in the first place at all, mm-hmm. you're just an ordinary person. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, totally. Not just an ordinary person, but you are an ordinary human being. Right. Without, like, this divine, you know, like, I don't know, supernatural call on your mm-hmm. life to save the people totally from utter ruin like, yeah no i felt handpicked yes i was like i'm the special one that will do the work therefore i'm going to do the work yeah and yeah i mean even the truth is for me again i want to stress this is for me mm-hmm. not necessarily for everyone but there probably are some people um that i was just really mentally unwell i was going through a lot of trauma that my beautiful brain didn't know how to process And it literally visualized it in the form of literally a savior and angels and demons. And that was true for me. Like, and years later, getting mental health help has changed that narrative drastically for me. Um, And so I can't stress the importance of (laughs) your mental health in, in all situations. So, Yeah. I mean, you're already diving into it some, but what has that looked like for you guys deconstructing? And breaking down what you believe uh, as you've you've had these experiences, you've had this background. Yeah, I mean, for me, honestly, I don't think supernatural culture like as crazy and weird and whatever as it is. Like we're talking like people like falling over like because they've like fainted in like mm. an experience with the Lord or whatever. Like like weird like people speaking a spiritual language, yelling or, in the middle yeah. of a of a service or like like shaking uncontrollably Mm -hmm. um just like in worship like like weird odd bizarre kind of experiences um that again i i don't i mean like we talk about like uh the practice of um moving trauma out of your body Mm -hmm. like shaking is a body's very natural response to doing that so maybe it's that like i don't know like it could be any number of things that like people are experiencing in their spiritual practice which that is what it is. Like Kelly said, it's not my experience, but it is. Um, but it's something that I've witnessed. Um, but as bizarre as all of that is, as bizarre as like exercising demons from my house as a child, you know, like things like that. Um, I honestly, what what caused me to deconstruct was not all of that. Um, it was actually caused by, I think, the um, lack of consistency I saw with the people in the church and what they preached and what they did. Um, it was like abuse perpetuated on a mass scale across all denominations and all sorts of different um, forms and um, the lack of just sort of human decency of like mm-hmm. that was being given when and ability to sort of like transcend like sin or, you know, like unhealthy behaviors uh, when one of my core beliefs was that the power of God and the Holy Spirit put you above those things and gave you the power to avoid those things. And um, I think there was always a core belief in my life that Christians were not perfect, but it was better than being anywhere else Mm -hmm. because the world out there is a scary place. Um, And I think 
what really hit home for me is that the church can be just as scary as anywhere. Um, you, there's just as much cause for harm there. Um, and so the question of if if God, the real living Holy Spirit, the real living Jesus living inside of people's hearts cannot be, I guess, um, cannot set this people group apart <laughs> from all other people groups, then what what's the point? Mm-hmm. You know, like there is no superiority there. There's just more people. And so I think a lot of my doubt has stemmed from from that. Um, and with that, I think some of the I, I've gone back to question some of the supernatural supernatural experiences that I've had, um, not because they caused it, but because they're a part of it. So um, I don't know where it leaves me. I, honestly, I there was a point still in my faith journey where I arrived at like God can heal people in whatever way he wants to. And just because we don't understand the science of it doesn't mean that it, he's not worthy of praise for it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, it, you know, I started listening to to like research on uh, neuroscience and like how powerful the brain is to um, actually heal itself. Mm-hmm. Um, like we look at the placebo effect. We look at people with um, multiple personality disorder and have like literal manifestations of different health conditions, depending on which sort of person that they are mm-hmm. embodying in that moment. Um and like I think that there there really is quite an unexplainable yet studyable and learnable power of the brain to enact this. Um, and I think that at the time I, I, I knew that and still believed that God orchestrated it. Um, and I think now I would probably say something the same, but I I guess I I don't know if I would attribute that to God anymore. Um, I might attribute it to just the human experience or you know the way that the world works or something Mm. but um but i mean he could you know like i I can't say that none of this was real because it is real it's just is it really caused by what we think it's caused by is where i'm at it's interesting because uh we so we interviewed with uh tara jean stevens right she uh did the Heaven Bent podcast, uh, which uh, their whole second season dives into Bethel, but their first season also dives into like charismatic, uh, a charismatic movement in the, the Toronto mm, blessing, the Toronto blessing, the yes. Toronto blessing, which birthed Bethel actually. Um, yeah. Yes, and uh, when we, you should go listen to our interview with her. <laughs> um, but she talks a lot about that in her podcast. The the idea of. Um, the neuroscience behind these uh, healings that people experienced or these sort of uh, states of catharsis that they experience. And um, it's, it's actually kind of interesting. I feel like I'm still putting the pieces together of what that timeline looks like for me, but I think that leaning more into the charismatic space is actually what helped me to be able to deconstruct in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. and like pushed me to deconstruct what I believed because it was a shift in belief. And it also made me realize how much Christianity is so similar to other religions. Mm -hmm. So like there's so many other religions that also practice this idea of healing or of a spiritual world. Uh, There's so many other religions that have people 
fallout in the spirit, if you want to call it that. Like, I've attended, like, Hare Krishna churches where they fall out in the spirit. I've attended, uh, like, Buddhist services and where they meditate and they commune with the divine. Like, I've, I've been to these things and experienced them because I've, like, it was, like, almost gave me permission to open up into those things. And um, so much, even as I'm listening to us talk about it, like, sounds like like a witchcraft or, like, a Wiccan practice or mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm, like, we're so actually so close to these things and it's so similar that, to me, it, it led me deeper into more of what I would now call, like, a Christ-centered universalism because I value the teachings of Christ so much, and that's, like, the framework that I come from. But, like, how can I say that these things are different? Mm-hmm. Um, and the the thing is, is that, uh, yes, like, there's so many ways you can study. Your brain can, like, can heal your body. Like, and there's ways that you can think about it that go back to, like, well, if your brain was made by the divine, if your brain was made by God, is that not God mm-hmm. healing you just the same and just mm-hmm. through this avenue or um, – in my mind, all things are divine. So if everything is divine, then that is also a divine thing that's happening. But um, also uh, things like, you know, falling out and like having these very emotional worship experiences or speaking in tongues in this spiritual language, like those things are also like huge stress relievers for people. Like that is a way for people to release trauma. That's a way for people to like people have more like quote unquote secular practices of this where they they have movement practices and all these things. And it's like we're doing those same things, but there's also been um, at times I think a lot of pressure put onto them as well in the Christian space that I've experienced. Mm-hmm. Like I've experienced like being pressured to like speak in tongues mm-hmm. because that is a manifestation of of having the Holy Spirit that you should that you should express. And I never felt super inclined to do that or felt a purpose behind doing that or felt um, that that was something that was helpful. I think that, you know, vocalizing, could be helpful in terms of, again, you're releasing endorphins from your body and you're allowing yourself to release inhibitions. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can like s- set off some chemical sensors in your brain that might be helpful to you. But at the same time, there is a lot of that pressure on to do it, which goes back to that abuse piece is like the, to me, the biggest abuses that I've seen is, is when the pressure is put on, um, that this must happen. I was really thankful um, because when I was dealing with a lot of health issues, I did have people pray over me. But every time that it didn't work, I didn't have people pressure me beyond that, you know? And it didn't work a lot of times. (laughs) And uh, that was discouraging, but also, like, there was a lot, there's a lot of theology that people say that is like, oh, well, if if you're not being healed, if miracles aren't happening through you, then you don't have enough faith. Mm -hmm. Or then there's something wrong with you. There's some hidden sin in your life. There's something that's inhibiting you because you're flawed. God's not flawed. Mm -hmm. You are. And, (laughs) and that, is where I think that delves into that toxic realm more and more. Yep. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then that's where I would come in and tell you about what happened when you were five and get that demon <laughs> out of your life. Thank you. So that you could be healed. Oh, but I um, like my demon. Well, and I, I, I should keep, keep that them. demon. <laughs> I do want to caveat with that with, um, uh, as far as Bethel is concerned, the official teaching is not that um, faith has anything to do with God's will to heal, mm-hmm. um, that God is always wanting to heal everybody and – Things beyond our knowledge 
prevent people from receiving that. uh, So I I do want to, to Bethel's credit, (laughs) Mm -hmm. they, um, they pray for healing because with the belief that God always wants to heal, not um, with the belief that it is by faith necessarily or by the power of it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad that I didn't receive that teaching. Mm -hmm. Like I heard about it, but I heard about it in the context Mm -hmm. of churches that were like, yeah, but we don't believe that. Um, Mm -hmm. Although I had, hardly any charismatic experiences at Bethel. So yeah, it was right. sure. And there's a lot of people probably within the Bethel space or in different spaces that have all sorts of different interpretations of that. But I mean, that's a huge question mm-hmm. that we haven't necessarily touched on yet is like the people that don't get healed. Yeah. You know, like the people that um, like I had a friend also with scoliosis <laughs> uh, <laughs> who she prayed for and saw other people sort of experience this sort of supernatural healing. Um, and she Again and again, prayed and prayed. She lived with chronic pain and never received um, healing and eventually got surgery. And that felt like, I think, maybe a failure. It felt like God didn't love her or, you know, was putting her last. And I know that was a huge struggle for her. And uh, understandably so, (laughs) you know, like that would be – that's such a mindfuck to be the person that goes into the service and watches everybody else have a transcendent experience and, like, isn't included to the party, you know? Absolutely. And I will, I mean, I would also credit um, Bill Johnson actually with this, that he does claim that a medical miracle is still a miracle. Mm -hmm. And so I think that is for that, that environment specifically, I'm glad that he does teach that. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though necessarily there's a whole different culture within the students and the congregation and the locals and whatever that kind of can happen. Um, but yeah, I think there's so much benefit still, even though I don't practice it necessarily, there's so much benefit still to like things like corporate worship or speaking in tongues or falling out in the spirit, quote unquote, like there are good things that can come from that. Um, and think valuable things that I came experienced from that. Um, I think the hard thing for me in deconstructing has been reconciling that there were really good things that happened too, Mm -hmm. even though there were a lot of really painful, really hard things. Uh, But the biggest gift to me was after my three years of ministry school, I was so burnt out because you go to church basically full time (laughs) for three years Mm -hmm. and it was a lot and I was really over it and tired and I felt like I actually wasn't seeing what I came there to see or experiencing what I came there to experience. And I got a job at Victoria's Secret and I got to love and serve people in a way that had nothing to do with how I was performing spiritually or praying for them. And I got to watch positive impact on people's lives every day. I got to watch women leave my store feeling beautiful. And that had a serious impact on me when it came to my deconstruction. I'm like, wait a second. This is equally powerful that I can love these women, make them feel beautiful, tell them, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, don't apologize to me for coming in the store without putting makeup on. Like, you don't need to apologize to me. Just show up. And, you know, things, moments like that were very important for some of these women. And, like, 
women would come back to the store and be like, oh my gosh, you changed my life. I don't have back pain anymore because I'm my bra fits. Like yeah. crazy stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, it's like you healed her. <laughs> it's it's like God healed her through a bra, right? <laughs> and or like women that had such good experiences, they brought their daughters or their cousins or their nieces back because they wanted to make them feel beautiful too and celebrated as a woman. And that was really special. Seeing good things happen with the space of like, I am not entrenched in this culture right now. I am not surrounded by people um, that are playing this weird spiritual like hierarchy game and seeing the good that can happen Mm -hmm. from you just being you and falling in love with humanity was Mm -hmm. really powerful. And then I got mental health help, which again, I can, I will say time and time again, go to therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, It's so good. And, and really starting to pull apart what was going on emotionally. And then I got married and that was huge. For the first time in my life, I actually felt safe. And that kind of fueled my ability to kind of have a little breakdown and realize that some of these things just weren't serving me and they weren't good for me and I could let them go. Mm -hmm. And so that's what started my deconstruction journey. And I've continued to, to ask questions ever sense really. And there's some things that I still probably will never make sense of. And I do think that things happen. And maybe there is, you know, there's the power of the brain, like you mentioned, Kelly, or um, I think a lot about like just energy, right? Like how that works. Like maybe sometimes the right stars are aligned and I can pray for you and you do get healed. But there's no like There's no reason really to that that I can see. There's no formula that anyone's been able to replicate. And like maybe it's just a mystery of the universe and kind of trying to reconcile that. I wanted to go back a little bit about what you said about remembering the good stuff. Mm. Um, It's making me emotional because just actually as I've been processing, I've I've started to think about some of these things, think Mm. back on them. And and there are good things. And it, it wasn't until like yesterday or the day before that I felt kind of um a twinge of actual sadness that Mm. like in in some ways like I'm I'm missing out on on some of the things that I used to hold so dear Mm. like I don't belong there anymore even a sense like I was just talking to someone about them having a small group with like their friends and they like pray for each other and then you know like hang out and I felt kind of this like tinge of like, oh, like I don't have that anymore or like that's not a part of my life anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I people talk about how deconstruction is a grieving process. And I think, well, yes, that's true. Um, I don't know if I've even started grieving because I feel like so much of my deconstruction experience up until now has just been processing pain mm. and like getting like accepting and realizing what I've been through and like getting to a safe place where I'm not being like taken advantage of anymore or manipulated mm. or or whatever. Um, and I feel like it's not until now that, like that I think that it like that's the first time that I've actually felt sad yeah or like like I'm I'm losing something like mm-hmm. there's something that once was precious to me that is no longer in my life mm-hmm. um 
And I feel like that's important. Like there, there was something special about being in a worship service and letting everything else go and just being. Yeah. Just like crying it out or just, you know, like whatever it is. Um, and I and I can recognize and understand the benefits of that. Yet also, that doesn't necessarily change my convictions now. Mm. But I mean, that is important. There are there is the good stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's sad, and I miss how simple my life used to be, and how confident I was. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! And I've said it before. I will say it again. There was not a second I did not believe what I was yeah. saying or what I was doing. Yep. I was a hundred percent genuine, yep. and I think. I think that is the hardest thing for for me because now I'm also 100% genuine Mm -hmm. and I can't change that. That is one of, I think, my core values. And one of the most precious things to me was having influence on younger girls. Mm -hmm. And I remember there was a summer camp when I was finally not going to summer camp, but I was a cool camp counselor and I got to sing on the worship team and got to mentor a whole cabin of girls that went to our church. And uh, instead of going on quote unquote break time, which is like a six hour block in the middle of the day, uh, we started having like a little Bible study and I forget what we called it, but we would like meditate or listen to, you know, the Graham Cook, like, I love you because I love you because I love you thing. Um, Or I would like... What exactly is that that you're referring to? uh, Graham Cook is a... Or just what is the I love you, I love you. Oh, he has a recording that's like a uh, guided encounter, if you will. And he just narrates it out for you so that you can sit and focus and be engulfed in gotcha. this so sort of a, a guided meditation yeah that's gotcha. that's the way i guess i would describe it and it has this section of where it's a he's talking about god's perspective of you and it's i love you because i love you because i love you over and over and and that specifically still gets me mm-hmm. and i remember every night at the end of our day we would have a church group like uh, debrief moment and ask everyone what their favorite part of the day is. And almost all of the girls would say, my favorite time was break time with Kelly. Mm-hmm. And like, that was an influence and a very special space that I still hold very, very closely that I know I won't get again because I'm not in that space. Yeah. It will come again in a different way, but like me going around and praying for them or prophesying over them, really, I'm just affirming them. I was telling them, you are worthy. You are beautiful. You are a powerful woman. Don't listen to what anyone else says. That's bullshit. You do you and you follow your gut. And that was so impactful for some of these girls. And I miss that and I grieve that and it hurts so badly. But it's also like, hey, if you ever deconstruct, let me know. (laughs) Hit me up. I'll help you out, girl. Yeah. And, um, like, th- it's those things mm-hmm. that, like, I won't get that again. Yeah. Because, I mean, almost in a sense, like, I feel from the perspective of where I once was, I am now a threat. Mm. Yeah. You're not safe anymore. I'm not a a safe, secure adult mm-hmm. to trust your children with anymore. Yeah. Your good Christian children, I mean. Like, yeah. I, you know, have weird ideas and, mm-hmm. you know, like, talk about things like feminism and, you know, yeah. like... Uh, and so that sort of like 
influential space that I once held, I don't have anymore. Oh, totally. And it hurts. Like people that I used to have relationship with and it's not the same anymore. And you can tell it's awkward. And they're like, oh, you have a podcast about feminism and you say a lot of weird stuff on there. And I'm like, well, if you sat down and talked to me about it, (laughs) you'd realize this has been really hard and really sucky. Um, And I think that's also what hurts a lot is the assumption and the distance and the lack of relationship where there once was. And yeah, and back to that, like feeling just a little bit left out, Mm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that like often faith and like having a religious practice provides is, is that community and that ability to feel like you have those opportunities to speak into somebody's life or like you have those, that sort of like privilege mm-hmm. it, to for someone to like open themselves up to you in that way mm-hmm. and um, to feel like you're doing something impactful. Yeah. And so I think that's part of what that grieving process with deconstruction looks like. And um, at the same time, when it comes to this with supernatural deliverance culture and all those things, there's, I think with deconstruction often um, sort of a loss of hope because there's so much hope that comes with that, right? There's so much hope that like, well, God can heal anyone or God can do all these different things. And we have this hope that we're clinging to that says all things are possible. Mm-hmm. And then you start to say, well, maybe not all yeah. things are possible. Maybe well, I, most things. I mean, well, a new evangelical, shout out to new evangelicals. You're doing amazing work. Um, they are a podcast slash Instagram. Yeah. Community. Community. Um, and they they talk about a lot of things that we talk about, kind of deconstructing the church, having a more, um, they have a more progressive kind of view on Christianity. And uh, he had a post recently that showed a clip from Bethel declaring an end to racism. Like from this point on, like, we will end racism. And so much of the fears in this world, like, culminated in a well god's gonna fix it so don't worry you know like the 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 wage gap the racial divide the uh, you know like impoverished people all over the world with no access to clean water or food like god is gonna bring justice to the nations um the political corruption the Mm -hmm. wars the you know famine environmental decline like don't worry god is going to to bring justice Mm -hmm. and you don't need to worry you need to trust but now now the only solution is us yeah (laughs) not like we're we're the only ones you know not like us isn't us in this table but like humanity like well we're gonna solve everything right the three of us (laughs) like yeah that's the goal (laughs) like collectively as a human species we have to come together and solve these problems Mm -hmm. and we're so bad at it you know like how could I possibly believe in into racism without like a supernatural move of God? Yeah. yeah. You know, like that is, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. How could I imagine a world where we end the patriarchy without swinging into like a horrible matriarchal like pendulum swing that like oppresses men and hurts more people than it helps? Like, yeah. like where's. <laughs> well, I think that that actually is a very Christian like way of thinking of it right like is this idea that things could be eradicated yeah Mm -hmm. and i think that one of the things that a lot of christianity says is that there is potential for sort of an idyllic eden-like 
paradise, um, which is kind of contradictory considering things that a lot of Christians believe about, like what's necessary for some sort of apocalypse. It really just depends. Um, on who you ask. Yeah, yeah, it really does. Um, but this idea that we could have true like erasure of types of oppression, I think that's a bit idyllic, right? Like I think yeah. it's a bit naive, um, yeah. and I think that that is. And there are a lot of Christian thoughts where it's like we end racism right now, or we right. are going to eliminate sex trafficking from the mm-hmm. world. I. Honest, like I, I hate those things. Yeah. I don't want racism in the world. I don't want sex trafficking in the world. No. I don't want people to be oppressed in poverty, starving, all these things. But I honestly, like if you look at the history of the world, I don't think it's possible necessarily right. to mm-hmm. eradicate these things. I think it's possible to take steps in the right direction mm-hmm. to bring about a more equitable society that we can work towards. But it's a big goal. Like that is a hefty goal. Yeah. Right. And well, and with that, I want to say there's like that hope piece, but there's also like something I've lost, which I'm grateful to lose, which is a false sense of positivity, Mm -hmm. I guess, sort of like a denial of reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like again, for for people to stand on stage and say, racism will end tomorrow, we declare. Yeah. Yeah. Like are people supposed to go home the next day and be like any substance of racism that we see isn't racism anymore because god has <laughs> yeah, solved the it. thing it might lead to that that's one of the things that can get really toxic i yeah. think is this idea well well if this great prophet that i know of like yeah. said racism was ending then you're wrong when you say racism yeah, right. is like, still around what are you talking about police and brutality then it becomes that's like thing anymore instant gaslighting yeah. of people's experiences mm-hmm. because yeah. this person who heard from god said this was happening yeah. like are you right. going to trust god or not yeah you know totally. and i think oof, that one that one hits home. Well, I think this is my bone to pick in general with a lot of deliverance culture. And it is, well, I can pray my problems away. Mm. I can, and essentially without accountability. Mm. Like I've prayed about it. I've prayed away this demon. I have severed my generational ties with whatever. Alcoholism, whatever. You, <laughs> you name it, but there's no accountability. There's no lifestyle change. It's just like, well, I prayed for this, so it should happen. And I'm like, mm. no, no, no. If this is truly a relationship it should require effort mm-hmm. on your end. Mm-hmm. You should have some action steps. Got to do the work. Queen. And God's not just going to floof it all together for you. Um, and I think what's very interesting in the parallel of this, it's like, well, God's going to take everything, ca- take care of everything. But Christians are also so afraid. Like I used to be terrified of people. I thought literally, if I touch someone, the wrong person, they could give me a demon. Mm-hmm. Like I was scared of people. I was fearful of all kinds of things all the time. I was terrified in this prophetic quote unquote culture that someone was going to see some sin on me and call it out mm-hmm. and some horrible thing like or even worse, call out that I had a demon that I didn't know about. Mm-hmm. And it's just I think. It's just putting your effort in the wrong space. It's like, oh, well, if you like flip that, (laughs) you're like, well, God will take care of all the demon stuff. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then you focus on the problems you can see Mm -hmm. because we're all chasing around these things we can't see. But guess what? I can see racism. I can see police brutality. I can see sex trafficking. That is physical. That is in my realm. That's my quote unquote jurisdiction. Like, why don't we go after those problems? And let the things we can't see just be taken care of. Yeah. Uh, and that's not to say, like, again, we're talking about the power of the brain here. That's not to say that, like, 
affirmations are a bad thing or that, you know, like believing in a world and speaking into a world that will someday be better is a bad thing. I think those are, I think those are very good things that all people should practice regardless of religious, Mm -hmm. you know, like whatever is like setting our minds on a better world. Um, But not to the extent that we deny the existence of the problems that are around us right now. Yes. Um, Yeah. Because, I mean, that's just like a, plus like the idea that like, I'm just going to declare this away and I don't have to account for my own complicity in this problem. Yeah. Or even worse. Like what about your internalized That's just narcissism. That's literally just narcissism. Or even worse. Oh, I'm going to get some heat for it. (laughs) Let's just laugh at that. Oh, what does that mean? Sorry, oh, what are there you saying? is a well-known uh, teacher, preacher, uh, minister in the Bethel sphere that that is his whole thing is let's just laugh at that. And I think there is space. What does that mean, though? Let's just oh, laugh at what? Like, your pain, what you, your okay. problems, the political system. Mm-hmm. And I think there is value to something like that. Like, let's not take it so seriously. But when your answer to everything is, let's just laugh at that. I'm like, that always, it makes me very uncomfortable to be like, well, someone's pain is actually really precious mm-hmm. and really special and actually doesn't deserve to be laughed at unless it's being initiated by that person and it's not a response of their trauma. Right. Like everyone deserves the opportunity to work through their things. And I think when the answer to a problem is like, let's laugh at the problem, that that to me is also like gaslighting. It is manipulative. It is narcissistic. And I'm like, oh, it makes me so uncomfortable. Yeah. For ex- Like example being someone has cancer. Let's just take it. You know, someone has cancer and we're like, there's a demon causing your cancer. We're going to laugh at the demon to remind ourselves that we are, in fact, more powerful than this cancer demon because we have the power of God. And that that demon just has the power of Satan, which is a kingdom that is, you know, doomed to lose. Mm -hmm. So let's laugh at this cancer demon and, I guess, humiliate him or remind ourselves of our power or whatever and then, like, shoo him away like a fly. Mm -hmm. I think that would probably be a summation of sort of the, the, the idea. Yeah, I mean, it sounds almost like it's a trivialization of people's problems. Yeah, right. Like certainly can be. Yeah, it <laughs> it's it's telling people, oh, like your problem actually isn't as valid as you thought it was. Yeah, your problem isn't as big as you thought it was. And I think there's again, we've already said this so many times. There's validity to like positive thinking. There's validity mm-hmm. to you know trying to you know pull yourself up by your bootstraps and like you know, get through a hard situation or like change your mindset about something. Like those are good things, but there's also ways that those things can be so easily manipulated and twisted, Um, especially when you're in a situation where you're sort of bearing your soul for people, um, which religious spaces often are. They're vulnerable, which is beautiful in a lot of ways that you are sharing, you know, this vulnerable piece of you with with a community. But at the same time, it does open you up for Mm -hmm. for trauma Mm -hmm. and for toxicity Mm -hmm. yeah we used to have that in my workplace um one of my workplaces i won't say which but we had uh prayer meetings every monday uh before work and um we would share prayer requests and we'd talk about things and um i learned pretty quickly that if you share something personal and then you have a work problem later on that personal thing's going to come up again Mm -hmm. and um 
just because someone's, you know, struggling with, you know, feeling insecure about blah, blah, blah for a test that they need prayer for <laughs> doesn't mean that because they're sensing an issue in their workplace that this insecurity is bubbling up again there. I think in a lot of ways, all three of us have extracted ourselves from a lot of this culture and and have sort of stepped away. Um, and we are in very different places mm -hmm. than we were when we were um, as steeped in supernatural um, and charismatic culture. Uh, but because of the, where we live and the people that were around, we still interact with it a lot. It's mm -hmm. still it's still something that we see a lot or hear about a lot. Mm -hmm. um, this idea of, of people getting healed or of, um, you know, declaring the end of racism or uh, these different things that are still happening uh, all around us, it kind of feels like. Uh, so how do you guys sort of thread the needle between um, where you were and where you are now and and also like interacting even with people that you love who are still very steeped in supernatural and deliverance culture and where that's sort of the go-to answer to things. I'm like, uh, <laughs> like, well, very not easy to answer, but yeah. Delicately <laughs> sure. and attempted very sensitively. It's like you said, like it's it's around me. And also people I really love and really care about are still very much so involved. So I mean, I try to just really have grace and patience, and I really try for this one, but not assuming that I'm smarter than them because mm. I believe different things now, mm. um, which, you know, because that's just not fair. Just because I had this experience and I've had to unpack all this trauma doesn't necessarily mean that that is the case for other people. Uh, but I think also creating a safe space for people to, one, share their wins and their victories and also to ask their questions. I mean, I actually, there was a friend very recently whom I care about who's like, yeah, I think I tend to subconsciously try to avoid certain topics because I know you're not necessarily a Christian anymore. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry if I made you feel that way. Like, I actually want you to feel like you can bring any part of you to our relationship and mm -hmm. that I want to create space for that. And so... I try to be very cautious about what I do or don't create what I should be creating space for essentially. And um, just because I didn't feel safe in a specific situation doesn't mean that I should make someone else feel unsafe talking to me about mm -hmm. what they're going through. Yeah. So I don't think I figured it out though. I haven't mm -hmm. figured out the formula. <laughs> I've definitely made a lot of messes um, along the way. And maybe that's probably some of the um, bad press, quote unquote, that deconstruction can get from Christians is it's messy internally. And sometimes that mess gets on you. Sorry, but also you got your mess on me. So here we are. We're all messy. Um, and so, yeah, just being apologetic and humble, but also like if something makes me uncomfortable, just letting people know, like, actually, I don't, I don't want to be prayed for. Like, I don't want you to touch me. Like, or I'm really, you're making me uncomfortable, like telling me that I am a prodigal son. Like that, those are all things that I'm like, I, it is okay for me to put up that boundary. And that doesn't mean I'm disrespecting your beliefs. That just means when your beliefs start coming onto me, that I get to put up a boundary of that. Mm -hmm. So that's my very vague answer. 
I don't think it's vague. I think that's yeah. brilliant. No, I, just, I don't think that's vague at all. It's hard though. Like it I is. won't lie, it's very challenging. Yeah, I I found myself <sighs> a lot of it feels like the balancing act has been with measuring or uh, I guess moderating my own anger towards some of the pain that I've experienced as a result of the church. Um, yet also giving myself space to be angry. And I think like Kelly said, like I've done that. I've just sort of like life vomited over <laughs> probably everyone that's been in my presence in the last five years. And um, so apologies for that. Um, I think getting a lot more comfortable with saying I don't know mm. um even recently I have a friend who's like but like what are you now <laughs> and I just I was like I can't I can't even answer that question you know um I <laughs> like is there a part of me that still hopes that Jesus will reveal himself to me in a way that I can't deny so that I can like go back to a space that felt familiar and safe and whole to me. No, like that's definitely a part of me. Um, but there's also a part of me that's reckoning with the fact that I may never return to the Christian space. Mm. Um, uh, yet it's so, it has so shaped my life. Mm. Um, the idea of like even raising children in what I feel like has been an existential crisis feels scary. Like yeah. I feel like my all my plans on how I would raise kids have been like completely just thrown into the ether. Absolutely. <laughs> I, yeah, I have yeah. so many questions about how to even like live my life. Um, like I, I once was sort of pulled by a divine sense of purpose into like what I thought was like my destiny. And now I it's just me. And if I don't do the work and hit the goals that I want to get, then I won't, you know, like there is no divine thread, like pulling me along into a place, at least that I know of. Right. There could be, I don't know, like, like sort of like maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, um, and that's hard, like interacting with like my family, uh, especially in my immediate family, God is the center of everything we talk about. Mm. Everything. Like, it's always been, like, that's all we talk about. <laughs> and we talk about other things too, but it's like in the context of like, well, what are you going to do about it? And how are you going to pray about it? And like, what's going, you know, like, what are your dreams? And it's like, it all circulates around this, uh, this faith. And, um, and so trying to avoid those topics is maybe impossible, but trying to maybe change the direction of them or talk about them in a different way has been kind of how I've tried to approach it. Um, and then the, I, our community in general is very Christian. And so people I work with, people I play soccer with, people I go to the coffee shop with, like all have a lot of faith influence and um, me trying <laughs> to avoid sarcastic, angry, bitter comments <laughs> about like, the church has been hard and I've done done it and I felt bad about it because I'm not trying to diminish um, someone else's belief system. I'm I'm trying to process my own pain and that shouldn't hurt other people um, or, right. yeah, demean other people. And, yeah, so it's very complicated. <laughs> like just this past spring, um, I sprained my ankle playing soccer and my whole soccer team offered to pray for me uh, for healing. And I said yes. Um and they prayed and, you know, nothing happened. And I said, thank you. And we moved on. And, but that's like, 
that's sort of surreal and like weird to be like, I used to be in a space where I would have been the first to to jump in and now I'm here being prayed for and I, I understand the sentiment behind it. And so I can accept the kindness that they're trying to give to me, but I also don't have any faith in the like actual execution of it, I guess, anymore. And so there's there's a lot of balancing, a lot of outbursts and a lot of apologies and a lot of learning. <laughs> so I, I guess I, I'm willing to be wrong and I'm ready for uh, if, if God wants to step into my life and claim it back, then I guess great. But I, so far that hasn't happened. But um, I haven't really put a label on it until very recently. A little shout out to Ravel Pod. A friend um, from some of the charismatic circles I used to run in has, I think, been on a deconstruction journey of his own and started a podcast with uh, two other people who disagree. They're in, like still within the church, but they all talk about stuff. And he, I think at a TikTok, described himself as Christianish and agnostic. Um, and what that means to me is just sort of like Christianish in the sense that a lot of my morals and values sort of still align with kind of the Christian experience. That's what I grew up in. And that's very much my culture. But um, in terms of like wrestling with the existence of God or the belief in God or, you know, what really this universe is all about, I'm very much on the I don't know. And so it may not it might not stay that way. Probably won't. Um, but at least that that's the first time I felt a, like a label really matched my experience. So that's where I'm at. Where I think where all of us are at changes all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think the pressure to put a label onto something is and that's necessary as far as how helpful it feels to you. You know, like. Yeah. Whether it feels helpful to have a label or not, like that's that's totally up to the individual. And um, I think that for me, when I now interact with, uh, especially friends uh, who are not actually in my like physical proximity anymore, so friends who live in other states, um, and I don't see all the time, I now when talking to them, I feel like shocked at the. Uh, sort of Christianness of them, because mm. um, I actually feel like I don't interact with a ton of um, hyper, uh, like hyper religious Christianity day to day. Um, I feel like I I don't wind up hearing people say things like about God, like healing, or about God doing all these things, like very often on my like everyday life. Uh, but I talked to friends and uh, recently had a conversation with a friend on the phone and they were talking about um, this person who had like fallen away from God and all these things. And I actually, the, those conversations make me feel uncomfortable in that like I don't have that same framework anymore, but it's also like to me an opportunity to just ask them why they think those things and, and to ask them and try to sort of, I guess, just poke at it a little bit, which I, I, I enjoy just asking like, well, in, or like when they're talking about someone who's falling away, like to me, it's like, well, you know, like I, I hope they're happy where they're at now and um, responding in ways that hopefully help my friends to consider something a little bit different or a little bit of a different spin on what they're, what they're talking about when it comes to um christianity looking a certain way mm -hmm. uh and so 
that's one thing that has been sort of my threading the needle is um, just bringing things up or like this, these are very simple examples, but like I've talked to people about divorce and I have friends who are so anti-divorce and so think that this is the most sinful thing that if someone's been divorced, they're disqualified essentially from being dateable afterwards or from getting remarried or if someone does get a divorce, then they cannot, you know, um, that that is that's a sin just to get divorced and um, just bringing up things like, well, this is my experience with divorce as like someone who was raised in a a um, separated parent home. And uh, this is what I think about it. And like, do you really think that 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 God doesn't like, um, you know, have grace for people who like have had hard relationships or have had bad situations? Like, do you really think that this person can't pursue happiness in another relationship or that that wouldn't that could be a bad thing? Like, so trying to just poke at those things, that's been my my way of threading the needle, because um, I think in my mind, it's such a privilege to still have the ear of people who are still so steeped in a specific kind of Christianity and to be able to then bring up questions they maybe weren't thinking about because these are things that they've been thinking and so so steeped in for so long that they haven't considered other things. And so I think it's so liberating to be in the space of um, holding your beliefs with a loose hand. Um, or an open hand, like it's so liberating to feel like I can talk to people who aren't Christian and like relate to them Mm -hmm. in a way that I couldn't before, or to talk to people who have these radically different life experiences and to not see them as like, you know, essentially these like sinful people, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, that's so liberating and so freeing as a way of, of living and being able to, um, feel a bit more like a normal human <laughs> uh, for me. So that's sort of what that experience has been like for me, threading the needle and feeling a sense of of um, a bit of obligation to try to like op- help open the minds of some of my more conservative relationships, but also um, feeling a sense of excitement in the new relationships that it opens up in, in deconstructing and then um, – releasing a lot of the the high stakes that mm. come with uh, charismatic culture that come with um, being really steeped in this religiosity. Whoo! Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's a lot, man. I don't know. I think, yeah, I don't know. I think that there's a lot of space to grow, a lot of things to learn. For sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, here we are. And that's, I mean, I think that's, that's life so much, you know, like is you're constantly learning, you're constantly growing and changing your mind. Um, And that's part of being human. The thought that we would have it all figured out is pretty ignorant. (laughs) Um, And that's something that I have to correct in myself all the time. The thought that I have it all figured out, you know, because we want to feel that way. It feels secure. Definitely. To think that you have everything figured out. And I think it yeah. comes back to that piece you were talking about, Kellyanne, of trying to remember that, like, you're not smarter than these people mm-hmm. that you're interacting with. You know, mm-hmm. like, it, they're not, like, in, unintelligent because yeah. they have this, like, belief system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I don't deny the fact that if I had had an experience walking through the church that where I was, like, 
served and promoted in the way that I needed to be. Like if it was a system that worked for me, like for some people it is, mm-hmm. yeah. but I wouldn't still be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Like there's really an aspect of like, for whatever reason, my shape didn't fit in the hole that they needed me to fit. And there's other people who have shapes that fit perfectly inside the church culture that exists. And so they they don't feel or experience the same things that I do or I yeah. did. And so it's not a matter of I wisened up and like got myself out of that crazy place. It's like I just didn't fit there. Mm-hmm. And so I had to deconstruct because I had to find some way to make sense of what I was experiencing. I mean, it would have been much more ideal to have not had that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that keeps people within any system is when the system benefits you, it's hard to see the cracks. It's mm-hmm. hard to see the ways that it hurts people. Definitely. Um, and I think that's why there's often this like bitterness associated with deconstruction because often the people that wind up um, questioning their beliefs are the people who have been so hurt by them. And so, there, yeah, there, there are like – an extent of bitterness there is an extent of that um you're you're in pain Mm -hmm. and so it it makes sense (laughs) but um ladies thank you so much for bearing your souls with me today (laughs) yeah it feels a little bit like church like i'm so vulnerable right now (laughs) um i really appreciate you guys sharing your stories and and being willing to be vulnerable because I think that hearing these stories is so impactful to people who have been through the same things. Mm-hmm. Um, listeners, like you're not alone in feeling hurt by these things. Like you're not alone if you're questioning um, these these pressures and these uh, like spiritual interactions that you've been told you're supposed to have or. Um, you're not alone in in wondering if there's something wrong with you because it's not working the way that it's supposed to. Uh, we we want you to know that, and like that's why we want to share these things is to help expose those cracks and and to to bring empathy and to bring community. At the end of the day, like that's what we want here. Um, and so, I appreciate you guys sharing. Thanks, Emma. Thanks for asking great questions. Yeah, as always. <laughs> Anytime. Um, and listener, thank you so much for listening. If you want more conversations like this, let us know. <laughs> uh, you can talk to us on Instagram and on TikTok. And uh, we are on YouTube. And uh, we are always <laughs> on our social. And we we want to hear from you and like get your feedback. We have been doing a lot of polls and different things to, to hear from what kind of things uh, you want us to cover. So you get to have input into this. We actually do want this to be as interactive as it can be considering the format of a podcast. Uh, and um, we would, yeah, love for, for us to be, uh, 
we would love to hear from you in that way. Uh, we also would love to hear from you if you like the podcast <laughs> by giving us a review. That helps other people find it. Um, that's the whole reason. It's not to, you know, gas up our egos. While it, it does make us feel good um, to get a review, it also genuinely helps our podcast to spread to other people's ears and get on other people's um, radar. And so you giving a review, if it's something that's been helpful or enriching to you to hear, it could also be helpful or enriching to somebody else. So we would really appreciate that. Um, and all that to say, we're going to wrap up this episode and close out. Thank you for being here with me today, ladies. <laughs> Thanks, Thank uh, you, This was like a good time. <laughs> um, and we will catch you guys next week for another episode of The Woman Being Podcast. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.